Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today we're talking about what you need to do to get your company started or what you need to do to prepare your company for additional investment. Now, listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, Dave, listen, I just do my thing, right? I just manufacture the widgets. I just run the store. I just do what I do. And, you know, I'm not giving any thought to what type of business entity I have. I'm not giving any thought to the way my business is structured. I just go on the state website and plug in the information and go. I get it. You know, I'm going to make a little confession. I did that too with the first business that I started. And you know what? It was a big mistake. And the reason it was a big mistake is because there are tax implications. There are implications if you want to sell a piece of your business. So here's what we're going to do today. I've got the exact person we need to talk to if you're starting a brand new business or you want to bring a partner into your business or perhaps you want to sell your business. We're going to talk today to the lawyer you should bring on board if any of those circumstances are a part of your future. And I got news for you. If they're not a part of your future, I don't know what the heck you're doing because your business is going to end someday and you need to figure out how you're going to get somebody else into the business and get a liquidation event in your future. So we're going to talk today to Leslie Cohen. She's listed here as a startup lawyer, but she's so much more than that. She can do anything you need from the standpoint of preparing your business for additional investment, helping you with an exit strategy. But we're going to start off by talking about what you should have done when you started your business. So please join me in welcoming Leslie to the Inside BS Show. All right, Leslie, welcome to the show. So we all screw up the beginning part of our business, right? What what do we need to think about? And, you know, why should we be calling you the very first thing when we get this idea and we're going to go out and start taking money for our products or our services? So first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's my, my pleasure to be here. Um, First thing you need to think about is, and you mentioned this, you hit on exactly um, when, when you in your introduction, which is what kind of entity should you form? So, um, and and this is my very simple, dumbed down answer is if you're thinking that you're going to raise venture capital money in the future, you should be a Delaware C Corp. And the reason for that is the C Corp is because um, venture capitalists only invest in Delaware C Corps. The Delaware piece of it is a lot of people ask me this, like, why not, you know, why not the state I'm in? Now I have to now I have to form in Delaware, pay taxes there, pay taxes in the form in the state I'm in because you got to apply to do business there. And the answer is that the law is really, really well developed in in Delaware. So it, it kind of prevents litigation, because if you if you come to a there's a problem, there's an answer already out there that's been litigated. And it's also a very business friendly state. Um, so outside of that, outside of those issues, and, um, you know, if you say no, no interest in ever raising venture capital money, then there's really not very much reason to be a Delaware C-Corp. Um, C-Corps are double taxed. So, um, you get taxed that the company gets taxed. And then when you distribute out the money to yourself, the, the, you get taxed as an individual. So I love limited liability companies for other purposes, Again, Delaware can be a great choice, but in that case, I would talk more about the specific business when choosing a state. 
Okay. So we're talking now specifically about formation and about taxes and um, and those sorts and, and potentially raising money down the road. I, I remember a scene from the movie The Social Network where uh, Eduardo Severin formed the company that would become Facebook, which is now Meta, right? And he formed it in Florida because he lived in, in his dorm room because he lived in Florida. So let, let's say for whatever reason, you start your company and you form it as an LLC in New Jersey or in Montana or whatever. And somebody comes along and says, hey, this is a great idea. We can take this nationwide. They can come to you and you can you can fix up whatever they screwed up, right? Because I, I envision right now, you know, dozens of people going, oh my God, we should have done this in Delaware and we didn't. So it's it's not irreparable. They can fix it, right? Absolutely. So switching states is not a big deal at all. The only issue with switching entity types, if you want to go from an LLC to a C-Corp, is it can be a taxable event sometimes. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but in some cases it's taxable. In a lot of cases, it's not. Okay. Talk a little bit about you and the fact that this is this is what you do all day, every day, right? You talk to people who are in this situation all day, every day. Give us kind of the overview of what uh, a day in the life of Leslie Cohen, the founder of All Rise, what you do for for your work day in and day out. Um, from the from the work perspective, yes, because I do a lot of business development and stuff like that too, and running the firm and all that good stuff. Um, So typically a client will call um, one of two times. So one will be, um, you know, hi, I've got this idea. I'm starting a business. What kind of entity should I form? Um, And we, and we, you know, talk about that. And then, which, you know, you and I just talked about, um, we talk, and then we talk a lot about the relationship with a co-founder. So if you're starting the business with someone else, um, what does that relationship look like? Um, you know, if it's your best friend since kindergarten and there's really no value whatsoever to your company yet, I would tell you, you know, you don't need to have a, a, an agreement in place with your with your co-founder or with your, you know, a shareholder's agreement in place. That's a kind of an expensive process. So, um, you know, until there's some value there to protect. On the other hand, if you say, oh, I just went through this incubator program and I met this great guy and we're going to start this business together and we're the next Facebook, which I get those calls all the time. Trust me, we're going public next year. I'm like, no, you're not. But anyway, um, so uh, then I would say absolutely first thing, most important thing is an agreement between the two of you to protect whatever you create. Um, and that so neither one, because very often in those situations, the it doesn't work out the relationship. And so you go your separate ways and each one claims, um, you know, that they own what whatever the idea was or any anything that's been developed. So that's, um, you know, that, that would be the first thing that we would talk about. And, and then typically, you know, we would put together a plan for um, all the different documents that a startup needs. And I don't, I don't think that um, you need to have all of them and spend $5,000 on legal counsel the, the first day of your, you know, that you're starting your company. So we go through and prioritize and, you know, depending on what the fund situation is that you have, we'll go through and and I'll help map out like what we want to do per month within the budget. So that's, that's one conversation. The other times people find me is, Hey, I formed the company. I've got my co-founder. I'm all set up, but we're ready to raise money. We've got investors. What do we do now? And then we talk about, you know, like, how much do you want to raise? 
And if it's, um, you know, a million dollars or under, I'll tell you to do a safe. And we can talk about that more or not. It's up to you, Dave. But um, if you're raising more than that, I'll say you probably want to do a priced round. What does that look like? And we talk through those various options. Um, So that's one part of my day is a lot of time talking through that stuff and educating, which I love to do with startups. And then um, rest of my day is drafting those documents. And then, you know, often I'll get a call from opposing counsel, like an an investor will say, like, I got the documents and I don't like a couple of things. My lawyer doesn't like a couple of things, wants to change them. So I do a lot of negotiating and that's pretty much it. Okay, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned the two the two different uh, opportunities when it comes to money. Talk about that a little bit. You said you mentioned a safe, and then you mentioned another an, another you know funding round. Talk about each of those and who who those are appropriate for, and at what time. Sure. So a safe is it's short for a simple agreement for future equity, and it's basically a piece of paper. Um, it's it's a little shocking to me that investors are okay with it, but sophisticated investors seem to be okay with it. Um, it's it's very widely used, and what it does is prevents you from having to put any kind of valuation on the company because instead it's a piece of paper that says from the investor, here you go, I'm giving you a hundred thousand dollars, and what I want back from you is when you raise your next round of capital. I get to convert this piece of paper into shares of that capital, but I get to buy in at a discount from the price that the next round investor is investing at because I took a chance on you early on. Same thing with a sale. If you sell your business before you raise another round, I get to sell, but at a 20% discount. To the to the price, so they get um, a so they get a like a preferred. It's almost like preferred stock. They get a preferred position in the company. They get a preferred position, but you don't have to figure out like my company's right. worth X dollars, so you're right. buying X shares. So it's good because startups don't really have any value. Right, right. Um, and then on the other hand, the other side of it is you know I called a priced round, and that's where you actually purchase preferred stock. So it's not it's not just a piece of paper promising to give right. you preferred stock. It's actually buying the stock. Okay. So let's uh, let's game plan this out, Leslie. Let's have a little fun here. So we're doing so everybody thinks they got a great business and everybody's gonna go on Shark Tank, right? So the one in a million person that does go on Shark Tank and they get a deal from the sharks what so what how does how does something like that work like let's say you started a business in your house and the business is great and it's you know there's a market for it and one of the sharks has it sees it as an extension of something they're already doing and they're interested so they're going to take 10% and they're going to give $100,000 let's say then then what happens does the person already have to have their entity set up and you know, or do they come to you at that point and they go, hey, Leslie, guess what? I got a deal from Damon John and, you know, he's going to give me a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars for a 10 percent of my company. So the the company's valued at a million dollars. Can you back into the agreements that way or do they need to have everything in place and then go out and get the money? So um, that's a great question. OK, so, uh, you know, Shark Tank is a is a one in a million. So if, if it was really Shark Tank, then um they would then then in that case and you and you haven't formed it, it's it's realistic to say you maybe haven't formed a business and yes we can absolutely back into it not a problem um, more typically 
an investor's not going to offer you that money without doing some diligence first. And so they're going to expect everything to have been set up. And that's a huge part of what I do um, is companies come to me that didn't use a lawyer to get all the, everything started and all of a sudden have people interested. And they're like, you know, they're not going to give me money without doing some due diligence. They need to see all this stuff and I don't have any of it. So then we have to go back and clean it up. And I, I will say, like, I implore people, and this is not because I, I want people to, to pay me, but involve the lawyer from day one. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I am working with three companies, each one of which, you know, pe- are, mean well. And people come, you know, are, are advising you, helping you. And you're like, oh, thank you so much. I'm going to give you 1% of the equity. And you put it in an email and there's no terms. And then you do that with a few people. And I am cleaning up for crazy legal fees. I am cleaning up those messes so that an investor can come in. And then, you know, they get a legal bill and they're like, wait, but the investor's not here yet. I don't have the money. Like, well, you got to come up with it because I can't do the work for free. So, so you know, and you you bring up a good point, right? And I, um, I, I take calls like this from time to time and the person is like, well, listen, I'm just going to give them a piece of the company. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you giving away? Like, if your company is that valuable, why are you giving away pieces of the company? Why are you not, like, explain to people the difference. And this is typical, this is not your role, but I think you're, you like to educate. So this is the perfect, you're the perfect person to explain this. Explain the difference between debt and equity and, you know, I mean, once you give away a piece of the company, you're giving away a piece of the company. I mean, that's it. It's gone. Explain explain to people the difference between debt and equity. But it's not only gone, but you've given that person a real lot of rights. Um, so, um, and I'll tell you a good story about that. But 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 to answer your question directly first, so debt is someone lends you money and they have no rights other than that you repay that money, and you know with interest or not, whatever the terms are of of you know the loan. Equity is I'm an owner of your business now, and um, and I'll tell you there was my first startup client um, had had given some equity. In fact, he had given ten percent to yeah, and 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 you really got to be so careful about giving away too much because if you want to if you you don't have a lot of money to pay like your first officers right, so a lot of them are going to be willing to work based on equity, but you have to have that available to give them, and you want to keep. A majority for yourself so you don't lose control, speaking of social network. So, you know, that's uh, it's really important to think about. So this this gentleman um, gave 10% to this woman and 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 it didn't work out. Now, th- and we can talk about what this is or not again, but vesting, it, it, this, her stock vested over time. It worked out for the first year. So 25% of her 10% vested. So she didn't have a huge amount of stock, but she continued. Then the relationship went south. It ended really, you know, really um, everyone was very angry at each other. And she continued to show up at his annual shareholders meeting for five years. And she wanted to see all the books and records, which she has a right to see. And she would sit there in the annual meeting and like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I mean, she made him crazy. And there was, and you know, and, and clients come to me and they're like, yeah, but I can buy her out, right? No. Where does it say you can buy her out? Unless you have a shareholder's agreement or an agreement with her, you can't buy her out. 
Yeah. No, no. I, I, I hate it when people there, it seems like everybody's default is to give away pieces of their company. And there are other options out there. Like debt is another option. Get a loan from these people, right? An option that I like a lot and people who are Shark Tank fans will have seen this, but it is, in my opinion, it is a much better option. You can, if they're, if you just have one product or you've got an idea for a business, you can bring them on board and say, listen, I'm going to give you for three years, I'm going to give you 5% of the royalties from this product or something. And that's very lucrative. It's, and it's, and savvy investors, a lot of times will jump at that, especially if they're helping you with like, if you have a product, they're helping you with distribution. So they know they're going to get the product into a lot of people's hands and they're like, I'll take 5% of your, of your sales for the next three years. That would be, you know, and they, and they do the projections and they think to themselves, listen, if I can help this person with distribution, I'm going to make a lot of money on this. I think that that type of an arrangement or a debt arrangement should be the default. The default should never be to give away pieces of your company for the reasons you said, but also once you give it away, it's gone. And the only way to increase the pie is going to dilute everybody's ownership down the road. So I just, it's it, it to me it seems it seems nonsensical. So there's a startup out there now, Leslie, and they're and they're looking to raise money. You know, the best thing they should do is come to you and say, "Hey, Leslie, you know, based on what I'm doing here, you know, if I go after you know uh, like private debt, uh, you know, what what documents do I need? You can draft up the documents for a private loan agreement with them, and and it's you know it's it's super it's relatively easy to do. Correct. Absolutely correct. The only pushback I would have is that usually startups have very few assets to secure any kind of a loan. So it's difficult to get. So the situation you're talking about where it's sort of a, you know, a widget that you're making, 100% agree. And it's someone who can, can help in that area and have some type of control over whether the company works or not is going to be more willing to take a chance. But someone who's just giving you like advice um, you know, they, they may not, they may not want to have debt. No, I understand. I understand. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a situation that you, if you find yourself in, you want to explore all the options before you give away a piece of your company. Now let's, let's go down this road because I think this is important as well too. Whether you're a startup or you're an operating business, assets should should be purchased in many cases in separate entities true depends on whether they're whether they're assets that go toward the same business okay. so what what's what, like so let me give you let me give you a couple of scenarios and we can yeah. and we can explore those in, in more detail is is probably a clumsy clumsily worded question so if i'm uh if i'm a creative person and i have an operating business but um, a significant portion of my business is intellectual property. One of the things we should probably explore is setting up a separate company and holding the IP in a separate company in case the operating entity is sued or in case there's some sort of a, you know, an issue or a claim on the operating company. There's some type of liability. The IP is insulated. The IP is protected. That's one of the, one of the scenarios that I like to talk about with people on a regular basis, especially if, like, let's say you're a patent holder. And, you know, you're, uh, you know, initially you file for a patent under your own name, but then you assign the patent to a company. My advice is always 
create a separate entity for the patent, for the IP, and then your trademarks, your any copyrights you have, any type of intellectual property, put it in that entity so it's insulated in case you know it's at arm's length in case there's in case there's some sort of a some sort of an issue. What are your thoughts on that? So I, I absolutely agree with that, um, with one caveat, which is a, back to, again, if you're looking for investors, very often they want to invest in the entity that owns the IP. So um, I, I guess I, I shouldn't say it's a caveat. It's a it's an, an additional consideration right. that you structure, like that entity is where you think about, th- that owns the IP is, is where you think about where the investors are going to come in. And the other thing that I'll say is that that adds a layer of cost to sure. because the you then need to license that technology or you that, license that IP. it back and yeah and, the, and both entities back. have to be fully funded and you have to do paperwork to make sure that the royalties are being paid it has to i mean it's a real business they're both real businesses you got to treat them as such it's like it's like establishing a trust right if you own any assets in a trust you got to fully fund the trust or it's useless to you so you got to make sure that the that that both entities are real functioning entities in the eyes of the law so that they can be viewed as as separate okay let's talk now briefly about operating in um maybe different jurisdictions right so if you operate in different jurisdictions, say you have a U.S. business and a Canadian business, does it make sense to set up two different business entities or can you operate the one business entity and worry about taxes in both jurisdictions from coming out of that one entity? What what typically makes the most sense in that case? So it's, it's really fact specific, but for the most part, when you're talking about early stage businesses... I'm usually fine with, I mean, it depends on the jurisdiction, but if you're talking about like Canada, it's absolutely fine to have a U.S. business. Um, And then it's really on a case-by-case basis, depending on the jurisdiction. Okay. All right. So tell us about how you got involved in this in the first place, right? So now we're talking about, uh, we're talking about startups here, but there, there is a significant amount of complexity in your practice. I'm curious as to, you know, if you if you're if you've always been kind of a detail oriented person and that's what drew you to this or was it, the you know, the finance aspect? I want to get into all that with you and I want to do it in just one minute. So give that a little bit of thought. I want to remind people that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors for over 35 years. Sandrowski has been providing amazing client service to people all over the United States. Now, they can help with tax planning. They can help with dispute advisory, business valuations, litigation support, forensic accounting. They do all of those things. One of the things that I talk to folks about the most, because I work with a lot of lawyers, is I talk to folks about doing valuation work when it comes to litigation. So if there's something at issue, if the cost of the business, the price of the business, the value of the business is at issue, you need to bring in an accounting firm to value the business. And if you're if you're in litigation with another party, there's a pretty good chance they're gonna have their own experts as well. The reason you want Sandrowski is because they're not only great at valuing the business, they can also do a fantastic job at testifying to how the valuation was done, how they came up with the value, and they can make sure the court, meaning a judge, or you know perhaps a jury, if you're gonna be in front of a jury, can understand what they did. And this is an essential element. They're also amazing at 
answering questions during the deposition process, during discovery. And here's why it's really important that you not only get a fantastic accounting firm to help you when you're going through litigation, but you also get a firm that's really good at answering questions in a deposition and explaining things because that is a separate skill unto itself. The folks at Sandrowski have been doing that particular aspect of their work for as long as they've been in business, over 35 years, and they're really good at it. So listen, if you find yourself embroiled in a mess and you need a business valuation, and it could get contentious, it could go to litigation, I want you to give Sandrowski a call. Here's what you can do. You can call 866-717-1607. 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. If you're looking for a business development plan, you're a sole practitioner, you work at a big firm, or you've got 10, 11, 15 attorneys working for you, you want to develop a plan that's going to help you grow your business, grow your practice. My Revenue Roadmap Guide is the perfect place to start. This is the same guide I use with my clients. I use it with CPAs. I use it with other consultants. I use it with financial advisors, and I use it with lawyers. Download it right now for free. It's my gift to you for watching, for listening to the show. Go to RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. All those words together, RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Enter your contact info Download your guide today. You can customize it for your business, for your practice. It'll help you grow your business using relationships and thought leadership. It is one of the best things you can do for yourself if you're into business development. All right, we're speaking with Leslie Cohen today. She's a fantastic startup lawyer. She knows a lot about entity formation and structure, tax consequences, and what you should do if you're bringing on investors. If you need to reach her, you can call her at 312-445-9620, 312-445-9620. All right, so before uh, we went to that little break there, Leslie, I asked you how you got into this. Are you are you like this amazing detail-oriented person? Like if we open the cupboards in your kitchen, is everything gonna be lined up nice and neat? Is that why you got into this? Or were you just fascinated by, you know, the, the, the world of finance and structure and that sort of thing? So, um, yes, I'm very detail-oriented. Not even a question. It's, it's definitely required. Um, but it's, it's kind of crazy. I got into it by mistake. Um, I went to law school to be a diplomat. Uh, I, I came of age in college during the, when the Berlin Wall was coming down. And um, I just thought that was a super cool topic. And I got really into like studying Eastern European studies and, and Russian studies and all that. And so um, I went to, to law school at NYU intending to, because they had a great like public policy program and that's what I thought I was going to do. And I went to the UN for my first summer to work and it was awful. <laughs> it was, it was so slow. Cause I'll tell you what else I am. I'm a very type A, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's get it done. And nothing happened. It was so slow. So, um, I happened to, I took a securities law class in um, my third year of law school, and I actually found it really interesting. And part of the reason this goes back to that detail-oriented is there's a code. And law school is like, there's two different answers to everything. And you can always argue each way, right? And it made me crazy. Like, what's the answer? Tell me the answer. And at least in securities law, like, yes, there are, there are you know, gray lines that you need to, to learn to navigate. But there's, there's a code that tells you exactly what to look at and what to do. And so 
Um, I loved that, and I went straight to a Wall Street firm after graduating, and I was doing um, money raises for huge publicly traded companies, IPOs, you know, secondary offerings, M&A for large publicly traded companies, day-to-day contract work for those same businesses, um, moved back to Chicago, and uh, seven years later went to a larger firm here, was doing the same thing for um, smaller publicly traded companies and then large privately held businesses. And then I left with a partner and to start our own boutique firm because I really like working with small businesses. I like working with people who have this great idea and they're so excited and um, it's just a different world. I, I love it. I love that story. All right. Now, how did you come up with the name? Explain to people what the name of your firm is. I love it. It's there's a number you can use it three or four different ways in business development. It's fantastic for that. So that's why I love it. But how did you how did you decide to name to, for, first? What is the name of your firm? All Rise Legal Counsel. Awesome. And how did you come up with the name All Rise Legal Counsel? I, I love that you love it. It's um <laughs> so uh, I was trying to think of a name, going back and forth in my head for like a a year. And someone said to me, look at quotes from people you admire. So number one most admired person for me is RBG. Um, And so I, and just, just a class act, you know, I mean, to to say the, to say the least. And, and what, another thing I love is she's trailblazer, a trailblazer too. Yeah. Trailblazer, but not women are better. Women are equal. Right. Like we're just people. We're all people. And I just, I just love that. So I started looking at quotes and nothing came to mind. And all of a sudden one day I'm like, all rise for the Honorable Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that just, I got chills, you know, and I'm like, I want to help startup rise, uh, startups rise. I want to help women rise. I want to help all of us rise together. And that really hit me. And that was it. That's awesome. And let me tell you, this is, folks, this is marketing 101, branding 101, right? Leslie could have named her firm the Cohen Law Firm, which would have made it similar to, oh, I don't know, about a thousand law firms in the United States. (laughs) But she didn't. She came up with a name that everybody's going to remember. Now, is it, um, is there, uh, and this is just, uh, I I think you and I are the only people that are going to be interested in this, but I need to know, is there a, is there a fictitious name issue in Illinois? Like, did you have to file a fictitious name or could you just set up your firm with a with a name that wasn't yours because here in Florida you got to go through there's like one extra hoop you have to jump through in order to in order to have a fictitious name you can do it but it has to be like it has to have the words law firm in the name how is it in Illinois just out of curiosity well it is it is all rise legal counsel no I know but it but in 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 Illinois did you have to do that or did you just want to do it because it was descriptive okay so you didn't have to do it right no Okay, great. No, that's terrific. And and again, branding one hundred and one. It is a memorable name. It is descriptive, and it is um, it is something that I think pe- it's gonna it's gonna stick with people. So, all right, let's talk now. I want to I want to ask you a question about this, and it's not um, it's not something that is that is very common probably for you in your practice, but I'm hearing about it a lot, and I need to get your thoughts on this because I'm. I'm kind of on the fence about it myself, and I want to. I want to. You know, you're 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 extremely knowledgeable about securities and uh, company formation, so I need to hear what you have to say about this. Let's talk a little bit about SPACs, right? People are using SPACs now uh, 
it seems to be like crazy and I have a lot of concerns with them. Can you explain to us what a what a SPAC is and when it's appropriate for, you know, what what are, what are the strategic and the and the, you know, business considerations for using that type of approach to um, you know, to uh, to to a company, to a for- company formation. So I haven't done public company work in probably 15 years, so I can, maybe 10, 10. So And SPACs are really a much more recent development. Um, but I know the basics, and, and I agree with you. I'm on the fence as well because you can. there's a lot of ways to look at it. But basically, it's a way to get around having to file all the documents that are required for an IPO. So there's a, an entity out there that's already public, and you merge your business into it without having to go through that whole process. Um, you know, from a from a risk averse lawyer perspective, which is what I am and 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 what we're trained to be, right? Um, and and I say to clients all the time, like, here's the risks, and you can take them or not. That's your choice as the business person. And I get why you take certain choices, but but my job is to let you know what the risks are. And you know, from a, an investor standpoint, in a, in a SPAC. Um, the company hasn't gone through that process. So you just don't know so much about what you're investing in. So I I, I don't love it. But on the other hand, as an advocate for um, people who are building businesses, I I love it because the the requirements for going public are quite onerous and expensive. So I I see both sides too. Yeah, yeah. And my my concern is I I just... First of all, like everything else, like uh, credit default swaps back in the back in the day and, you know, and derivative instruments, nobody's paying a lot of attention or they're not paying enough attention to it now. And the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. And the next thing you know, people are going to use it for nefarious purposes, money laundering and, you know, maybe perhaps even folks on the sanctions list, uh, you know, jumping, jumping into these things. And. The next thing you know, they're going to be highly scrutinized and good people are going to get caught up because they made a decision to do something that somebody who was playing fast and loose wanted them to do. So I'm I have a lot of concern about about them. And, you know, anybody who pitches you on a on a SPAC as a way as a as a you know quick fix for something, I would think twice about it. I just I don't you know, it's just it's one of those things where it's just too there's too many people doing too many things too quickly with them for me to be to be overly comfortable with them. Um, I just you know it's just it's just one of those things. So I was curious to get your opinion on it. All right, let's talk a little bit about what you've seen the last couple of years. So we're recording this now. It's we're we're in March of 2022. Uh, I think and I'm hopeful that we're kind of at the tail end of uh, of the of the COVID pandemic, right? The last couple of years, how has it been for for people who you know start businesses and for people who are you know who are looking to um, you know structure businesses so that there there can be investors in the future? What have you seen? So it's interesting. In the beginning of COVID, um, I would say a huge amount of my business shifted to the M and A piece. There were so many people leaving corporate America to take a risk, do something different, you know, go after their dream and start a business um, and and do that by buying a business. And they would use, you know, the the PPP money that was out there, SBA loans that, you know, all this, all this, you know, d- different financial help that was coming their way. 
And so that was, and then on the other side, but on the sell side, there were so many people who just said, you know what, this, this pushed me over the edge. Running a business is just so difficult. I, I had an exit strategy in a few years anyway. I've had it. So there was a real lot of, of M&A activity, which was a lot of fun, um, especially because I represent small businesses. So there were a lot of, you know, five, $10 million deals, which is really where I like to play. Um, and then uh, there was not a lot of startup money raising going on and people were terrified and they were holding on to their cash. The last year in particular, everything has shifted to be people are ready to invest again. And there's just so much startup funding going on. I, I, I can't even keep up with, I mean, there's just, the, the people are just pouring money out there, which is, which is terrific. And I'll tell you another great thing I'm seeing, and, and I'm not saying it's anywhere near caught up, but there are so many new um, funds and other investment vehicles that are designed to invest in women and minority-owned, you know, f- owned businesses, and that's something you know. It's just, it, I mean, the, the statistics are appalling as to those businesses getting funded, and there's finally some resources co- being devoted to that. It, let's talk about that a little bit. Is that is that something you help people with or do you structure the business and then they have to go to a specialist to help them uh, prepare the, because I know there are people out there that, that help prepare the paperwork for, you know, for grants and loans and, um, you know, and all types of opportunities available for women and minority owned businesses. Is that something you do or do you refer that work out to other people? I refer that work out. Um, what I do is look at the, the those materials to make sure there's nothing at issue in terms of the legal. So you need disclaimers like there's forward looking statements in here. This pro forma financial information is, you know, based on guesses, based you know, assumptions, which we don't know whether or not they're going to come to fruition, that type of thing. But otherwise, I refer it out. Okay. Yeah. No. I'm just uh, out of curiosity. I I, wa- I wanted to ask because that's you know that's something that people should think about. But it's often not until someone like you says, "Hey, have you thought about this?" There are plenty of programs out there where you can get a grant or get low interest loans or get you know loans that are guaranteed by the government. So um, I appreciate you bringing that up. All right. So I want you to tell us. I want you to, I want to do two things before we wrap up. I want you to tell us a really great success story. And the second thing I want you to do after the success story is I want you to walk us through as briefly as you can, what, you know, the, the somebody's out there on their couch listening to this and they're going to form a business tomorrow. I want you to give us the step-by-step as to what they, they should do, at least the first three or four steps, right? So first tell us a great success story and then you can walk us through step-by-step. Sure. So great success story, um, company called Mobile Doorman. Uh, just had a $35 million exit. And wow. uh, I, I met the founder. He was in his 20s. He's great, great guy. And he had this idea for an app that is acts as your doorman. So um, there's a package available for you. Your lease is ready to be signed. Um, there's a bike in the fitness club ready for you to, to, to ride. Your laundry's done. You can come switch it to the dryer. Like all the things, you know, in, in functioning as a, as a doorman in the building. And I met him and he had started the business and he was with a large firm. And a lot of – he was – his lawyers were a large firm. And a lot of these big firms have a um, sort of incubator program where they'll say it's 150 bucks an hour because you're a startup. 
And there's two problems there. One is they give all that work to the, to their first and second year associates who have no idea what they're doing. Sure, they're looking stuff up in law books while they're while they're typing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, and and then the and then what happened with him that happens constantly too is like it's a one or two year thing, and all of a sudden that's up and no one tells you and all of a sudden the rates go to you know $900 an hour and you get this crazy bill and you're like what what just happened um and so that that happened and so uh I had met him through networking and took over as counsel and we did his I think he had done a very early friends and family round raise we did his um uh what we call series seed really interesting kind of hybrid preferred security. So we did a few series seed rounds. We did a series A round. And um, I think, yeah, we did a series B round. And then he was sold to a large company. And it was just so awesome to to be part of that from start to finish. Yeah, and, that's a great you know, story. Yeah. So no, that's fantastic. All right. So now, so there's somebody just like that guy who's, who's you know, that he's got an idea. He's got a skill. He's got... Um, he's got a lot of drive or she's got a lot of drive and she's on our couch and she goes, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get going. And she's fortunate. Her first call is to you. So what are the first couple of steps? So I would talk about what her goals are. Is she going to run this business forever? Is she trying to, um, do this, you know, build this really quickly and sell it? Are there going to be investors? as part of it. And then we would go from there into, you know, what type of entities should be formed. I have a amazing paralegal. She would do the formation work set up. Let's say we went C-Corp, you know, board of directors and um, naming the officers and getting a um, an employee ID number, an FEIN. Um, and then if we form a Delaware C-Corp, we need to have her authorized to do business in whatever state she was actually doing business from. Um, we would talk about, uh, does she have a co-founder? Does she need an agreement with that co-founder? Um, what else? We would talk about uh, whether she's she's promised equity to anyone already and um, or has some advisors that really important thing, which we haven't touched on, which is if you have someone, you know, people who have been advisors to you, making sure that they get NDAs in place um, invention assignment agreements in place so that no one can ever come back and say, yeah, yeah, way back. I helped you with that. Remember, this is partly mine too. Mm -hmm. So that, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. No, that's, uh, that's really smart. And an NDA, if you don't know, is a non-disclosure agreement so that they can't, uh, talk about trade secrets or anything as they're advising you, um, you know, uh, down the road, they can't disclose any of those trade secrets. All right, so Leslie, what's the best way? Well, let me let me ask it this way. So, some that person who comes to you, then do you have you mentioned uh, something about a program doing a little bit over a number of months? Can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's what you just described. That seems like a lot of work to me, which seems like a lot of fees that somebody who's got a startup is going to have to pay. How does that work? So, there are some startup lawyers that have packages, and I get asked that all the time. I don't do that. I don't like the flat fee. Um, only because there's every situation is different, and I, I just don't know how to how to price that well. I tried it, and I, I just really didn't like how it worked out. So what what I do instead is I will give you an estimate, and I will stick to it. So when we go through that process of here's um, you know the the ten different documents you're going to need, and 
here's, so, okay, you just met your co-founder. Let's say that's a really important document that we put together, that co-founder's agreement. And then I'll tell you, based on the circumstances that you described to me of how you're going to work with your co-founder and how you're, you know, the voting rights of each of you and um, how money's going to be distributed between the two of you, let's say it's pretty complex, right? So I'll say uh, probably going to take me three to four hours to draft that agreement. And I will stick to that. The only reason I won't flat fee it is because if we give, we put that agreement together and she gives it to her co-founder and her co-founder hires counsel and counsel is super argumentative and very one-sided or, I mean, you just, there's so many unknowns. And so I will absolutely, if, if, if the co-founder is just going to sign it, there'll be no more fees. Even if, even if it takes me longer than I thought, I will stick to my estimate. Okay. Great. So um, I would be remiss if I didn't remind people, this is not legal advice. This show exists for your entertainment purposes only. Anything that Leslie has said here today is basically should be treated as hypothetical. It's just a conversation between two people. If you want legal advice, don't be cheap. Go pay a lawyer, preferably pay Leslie. All right, Leslie, I'd like you to think of three things that people should take away from our time together, three things they should take away. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. I'm going to remind people that if they want to reach out to Leslie, you can do that by calling 312-445-9620, 312-445-9620. Always discuss your specific situation with her. And then once you pay her, she will give you legal advice. 312-445-9620. I also want to remind you that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. You heard me talk about Sandrowski and how they can testify to the valuation of a business. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about their family office services. You see, they've actually written a book on formation of a family office. Now you may be thinking to yourself, hey, what is a family office, Dave? Well, some of Leslie's really successful clients who have exit events, liquidation events, get tens of millions of dollars or sometimes maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars. And then they want to put that money to work for them. And they're going to get pitched constantly by everybody under the sun for investments. You know, their friends, their family, people who thought they knew them back in high school are going to start pitching them. Well, it's a good idea for people who have wealth to form what's called a family office. And this is essentially a company that will handle the wealth that you've accumulated over the years. Now, why on earth would I be talking about family offices? I mean, we just talked about startups. Well, here's the thing. If you're a lawyer or you're a CPA or you're somebody out there who's in professional services, you're gonna stumble upon people of affluence, people who have a high net worth. Those people, if they're worth $50 million or more, they might wanna consider setting up a family office or joining what's called a multifamily office. If they're thinking of doing that, their first call has to be to Sandrowski because like I said, they wrote the book on family offices. So here's what they can do. If you're thinking of joining a multi-family office, two or three families have gotten together and they're forming this company and the company's going to invest the money that everybody has um, in projects. And you can say yes or no, or maybe you can't. All of those things need to be vetted. And Sandrowski can go through and look at the family office and tell you whether the family office is doing what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. If you're thinking about forming your own family office, you are like someone who I used to work with who had a medical billing business and sold a third of his medical billing business for $100 million, and now he wants to form his own family office, he's going to Sandrowski, and they're going to form the family office with legal counsel on his behalf. They're going to help him with 
the documents that are necessary to put in place from a financial standpoint. And they're also going to help him from the standpoint of making sure that he's covered from a tax mitigation perspective. If this sounds like something you'd like to talk to them about, I want you to call 866-717-1607. 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. Also remember, get your free revenue roadmap guide. Go there now. I'm not gonna beat you up about this, but it's a business development plan that you can use to grow your professional practice. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Enter your contact info, download it for free. It's my gift to you for joining us today. Okay, Leslie, what are the three things people should take away from our time together today? So number one is use a lawyer when you're starting your business and preferably a startup lawyer um, who knows the space. In, in any any legal issue that you have, you should go to someone, just like you choose a, a, a surgeon who does only that kind of surgery. Choose a lawyer who's really knowledgeable in the in the startup space, um, preferably me, but anyone, anyone else. <laughs> I've got a lot of good competitors out there as well. Um, Two is uh, um, I, I, something you brought up, which I thought was great, which is don't go giving out equity in your company just because someone helped you in some way. Um, be really, really thoughtful about when you give equity to someone in your, in your business and how much you give. And three would be work with a lawyer you like. Um, I, I talked about enjoying the educating people piece and I really do I um, and I, I really enjoy, I, I like what I do I like my clients um, I, I don't work with people I don't like and I think it's it's an important relationship in your life I mean it's it's expensive it's time-consuming and it's it's nice to you know you shouldn't be intimidated I have a lot of people who come to me and say thank you for speaking to me in English instead of like speaking to me up here on this level where I have no idea what you're saying and I'm so nervous about this. And so work with someone who you feel comfortable with. That's great. I think those are three great pieces of advice. The only thing I would add to that is no matter what Leslie charges by the hour, if you have a question or concern about anything related to your startup, Pay her hourly rate and pick her brain for an hour because she's worked with dozens and dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of businesses over the course of her career. She's going to be one of the most knowledgeable people you should go to, even from for, from a from a business advice standpoint. Leslie can tell you what she's seen and how it worked out or didn't work out. And let's say you paid her. Oh, I'm not even going to guess. Let's say you had to pay her her hourly rate, but you save tens of thousands of dollars. It's the best money you've ever spent. Leslie, I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. All righty, folks, that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. If you like what you heard today, give us a hey now down in the comments. I love your comments, especially on YouTube. Just say, hey now, Dave, that was a great show. Or hey now, Dave, Leslie really knows what she's talking about. We appreciate all the feedback you give us. We'll be back here again tomorrow for another edition of our show. Until then, my name is Dave Lorenzo, and here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.